This is Reset. I'm Adora Namigade, in for Sasha and Simons. Playing matchmaker for your friends can be fun, but what about matchmaking museums to art? Michael Darling did just that when he left the Museum of Contemporary Art Chicago last February to start Museum Exchange. The program matches donors to museums across the U.S. and Canada, with the hopeful intent to give smaller galleries access to big-name art pieces. Michael joins us right now with more on the program. Welcome to Reset. Thank you, Nadora. Paint the picture for us. Before Museum Exchange, what was the process like of getting art from donors to museums? Well, in, in that case, a, a, a donor would come to a museum, probably the one in their hometown, and say, here's this object I'd like to give to you. Would you like to have it? And sometimes it might be hard to get the museum to respond. But if, if they did and when they did, um, it might turn out that that piece is not right for that museum. Maybe they already have 10 examples by that artist, and this is just a duplicate. Or maybe it's outside of their collecting range. Mm. So unless someone's really tapped in and has lots of museum relationships – um, they would be kind of stuck and would have to just start cold calling museums, doing all the research themselves on which museum might be the right fit for this. And a lot of times it's really subtle and very subjective, like what kind of work museums are interested in. So in our case, they can bring that same artwork to us. And provided we think it's something that our museum network would like, we can just one click, put it on online and into our catalog, and 160 museums across the country are looking at it. And chances are someone out there is going to think that piece is fantastic and would be great for them. So before this platform really existed, a donor had to be willing to put in a lot of legwork to make sure that the piece that they had had a sufficient home for it to go to. Exactly, yeah. Okay. How did that idea come to you? Um, there were a couple other guys that came up with an with the idea and built it out to a certain point and tested it out on me as a curator to see what I would think about this um, while I was still at the MCA. And I thought it sounded great. Um, and then, you know, as they kind of shared different versions with me and I got more familiar with it, you know, we just started talking. And then the, the timing worked out that when they were ready to launch, I was ready to join them. So you're saying you've gotten about 160 museums to sign on board what does the platform do differently from the early way of having donors just come to museums? How are you facilitating that exchange of artwork between museums or from donors to museums? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I think is super exciting is, I mean, in Chicago, we're lucky. There's lots of people that are collecting art here. There's a lot of philanthropic kind of uh, traditions in Chicago. So people giving art to museums is is normal here. But if you're in a little town somewhere else in, in the U.S., um, you might not even have contemporary art collectors in your town. Um, and so where, and you might not even have any money to buy art for your collection. So the things that come to you can be quite random. And now all of a sudden, every three months, they're looking at a catalog of, in our case now, 100 objects that are available for, as gifts that they can look at and propose and try to pursue. So I love the idea that this is redistributing art around the country and, and museums that are you know, let's say in the middle of the country in Nebraska or something, are getting access to to collectors in L.A., in New York, in Dallas, whatever, and Chicago. And so it, there's something about that that opens up the landscape in a way that, I ju that just was not possible before. What makes you feel so passionate about these smaller museums and places that are not like big metropolitan areas getting access to this type of artwork? I mean, I've always had a soft spot for the underdog, no matter, you know, what field it is. It, it is. Um, and as we know in Chicago, you know, always, you know, the second city, um, 
you know, New York and L.A. kind of take up a lot of the oxygen in the in the contemporary art dialogue. I mean, Chicago does a lot better these days and because we have so many great artists and good museums here. But um, uh, but those little towns uh, across the country often have beautiful museums with great collections and the curators are doing great work and doing amazing exhibitions. Sometimes they're serving really interesting populations. A lot of them are on university campuses. Mm. Um, and they they get no press, no play, and so when art is coming their way and making a, an impact, it, that it's super exciting for me. I just I just love to see that happening. This is reset. I'm Adora Namigade, and for Sasha Ann Simons, we're with Michael Darling to talk about the program he helped start, Museum Exchange, and how it matches donors with art to museums across the country. Do you remember the first match that you made with a museum? We've just been cranking along so fast that I don't think I've. I can remember what Mm -hmm. the first museum placement was because there's just been, you know, there've been hundreds of them so far. Um, Any matches that stick out to you? um, Well, one, one in particular, kind of going back to my, my other point, there's um, one of the museums that's been super um, active with us is the Sheldon museum, which is on the campus of the university of Nebraska in Lincoln. And this is one of those great examples where they got a painting by this this great artist named Jonathan Borofsky, who was really a household name and an art star in the 80s. And they got this painting. It's actually on view in an exhibition right now. And the the word filtered back to the artist that this had happened. And he had never heard of the Sheldon. So he looked them up and said, oh, my gosh, they have a beautiful building. Oh, my gosh, they have an amazing collection. Oh, this painting looks great in this exhibition. So it's those kind – again, those discoveries – of the smaller museums by the powers that be in the art world that I that I think is is really exciting and that's something that that just all those pieces of the puzzle happened recently, um, or even our our very own uh, Richard Hunt, the great sculptor that lives and works here in Chicago. Mm-hmm. We placed a piece um, with the Museum of Contemporary Art in San Diego recently, and they just opened a brand new extension of their building and prime in prime real estate in the middle of their new space is this amazing Richard Hunt sculpture that they just got. So so seeing the fruits of all this actually happening and, and the works going on view is is really rewarding. That's so powerful. You were talking earlier about the diversification of art and how you're choosing to focus primarily on connecting with artists of color and like marginalized artists specifically. Can you talk about why that's important to you? I mean, yes. Uh, if you look at most American, we just focus on U.S. collections, they are overwhelmingly white and male and mostly dead artists. You know, so this is a problem that American museums have had for a long time. Um, a good handful of them have been trying to work against those forces over the years. And then, of course, you know, post-George Floyd and our and our kind of social and racial reckoning over the last several years, museums that haven't been doing that are are really being called to task that they need to do that and they need to tell more stories. And oftentimes it's their own publics that are saying, we don't feel represented by the art that's on view in this museum. We don't see ourselves. And so, again, progressive, smart museums that want to stay relevant have been doing that. So, um, and, and, you know, as a result, we just have a very limited art history that's been told to us over the years. And even and this, not just in museums, but even in, in universities and um, high schools and other places, those history books themselves have needed to be updated um, when it comes to tell, talking about art. So, so it's a broader movement. And I think that how we want to be able to participate in that too. The one th- place where we're a little bit limited is that we are only facilitating gifts from donors that have bought the art and that have the art. And mm-hmm. so 
we have to find donors that also have been kind of going against the grain and not just buying white male artists, um, but that have been paying attention to broader um, definitions of art. And, and so that that's so we have limited a, a built-in challenge that we have to overcome too when we're trying to kind of push push the art into the pipeline, so to speak. Yeah. How do you even start overcoming that challenge? Well, one way we've done it is we've reached out to art galleries, commercial art galleries that have had a good track record showing women artists and artists of color, and they have have put forth works that they feel that they can donate. Um, and in this case, they're putting them in front of a purely museum audience. It's just museum directors and curators and others that are looking at this catalog. So it's um, so it's it's the perfect audience for them in a way if they want these artists to be put placed in museum collections. And so it's kind of a win-win on that, on that side too. So that's one, one way we've been able to get that kind of work. And then just knowing who collects this work um, and reaching out to them. And so it's, it's, a, it's a, you know, we have to be proactive about it, I should say. It's great that you are putting in that legwork to try to find diversified types of art, because like you said, diverse art equals diverse storytelling. And can you talk about the ways that maybe colonization has impacted our lives today in terms of the art that we are typically exposed to. You were saying a lot of art that we're exposed to in a lot of museums is like by dead white men. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Again, it's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy because if the um, art history is kind of skewed towards white men, then then the art galleries are going to be selling that and then the collectors are going to be buying that and then those collectors are going to be giving that to the museums and so it's really you really have to work to actively make a break to go outside of those narratives and and seek out work and sometimes you know collectors have have complained over the years that they don't know artists of color they don't see artists of color the galleries that they go to don't show artists of color and that has changed and and again people are are being called to look more broadly. So the art world, the system of the art world has opened up a lot over the years, uh, over the recent years, I would say. So yeah, it's just a matter of like wanting the change, wanting to see the change that we want to see happen, you know. And so as as pressure has kind of grown, um, you know, we've seen more and more of that. And it also comes down to even to, to art faculty, the teachers that are teaching art, um, you know that field is is diversifying too, and different voices are coming into the into the picture so it's it's sort of it's systematic it has to happen across all all systems to kind of dismantle this the white supremacist systems that have been in place for so long it's cool to see that this will be something that kind of compounds upon itself right because you have one hundred sixty members so far. I imagine as more museums grow and as more museums rather join this program. You'll have access to a wider variety of artworks, and you'll have a sort of larger database to pull from. Yeah. Well, and one thing that, you know, you sometimes hear about in the news is when a museum decides that it's time to to deaccession a piece from their collection. So they, for some reason, it's not useful to them anymore. Maybe it's a duplicate. Maybe it's outside of what, what their mission is. And so they sometimes will take it to auction and sell it, and then the proceeds will come back to the museum to buy more art. Or sometimes they can't sell it, but they they need to kind of get rid of it in a way. We think that we can start to do museum-to-museum deaccessioning. So a museum in Chicago that maybe has too much of one type of art might be the perfect sort of material for a museum in New Orleans, let's say, that doesn't have anything by Mm -hmm. that. So we can, again, use our network to start to redistribute this art around the country. Um, And so we're we're just starting to have some conversations right now with museums about that. And I think that could be really exciting, too. One man's trash is another man's treasure. Exactly. How can museums or artists learn more about museum exchange and maybe even join? The one thing that's interesting, artists themselves 
are not the best candidates for donating because mm. the tax laws in our country make it very unattractive for artists to make donations. Mm. A lot of the collectors that are donating, they do get a tax benefit for making these charitable donations. Artists can only write off the cost of materials for the thing that they've made. So it's a really bad law. Okay, don't people... <laughs> donate your art directly. <laughs> That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, from, from, the, from the artists. I mean, sometimes, you know, of course, they, they want their art to be in museums. Sometimes they might be kind of getting on in years and kind of are faced with a lot of inventory that they love to kind of push out into the world. And so we can really be helpful in that, in that situation. Awesome. Michael, thank you for coming on Reset and explaining Museum Exchange to us. You're welcome. Thanks, Adora. This is Reset. I'm Adora Namigadde, in for Sasha Ann Simons.